It's interesting. It's a uh, you know, weekend filled with family and friends and uh, responsibilities and things that were going on. I had one of the worst days I've had in a long time yesterday. Mom's house with my brothers and sisters is both issue and it uh, rain didn't help trying to move in the rain was brutal and uh, by the time I got home I was uh, exhausted but uh, God is good in the process isn't he it's interesting guess because you come in the Christmas season it just reminded me how that we can get so caught up in the commercialism and the busyness of the holiday and we miss My daughter um, loves to watch the Hallmark, so it's you know we watch the 365 Days of Christmas on Hallmark, right? And uh, I have to admit, I do like them. I do like the shows because uh, uh, even though they're predictable, it is about love, right? And so, but it's not about the love of God; it's about the love of relationships, which I get and sort of helps. But to me, when we look at the Christmas narrative, we see the greatest event in human history unfold, and some of the people in the narrative missed it, right? Well, the innkeeper, he missed Christmas. Herod, he missed Christmas. The biblical scholars of the day who knew where the Savior would be born and everything else, they missed Christmas because they didn't hear and listen to God. They weren't willing to surrender their lives to the call of God, and they just didn't obey. And so when you look at what made that story great for Mary and Joseph and the, and the shepherds and the wise men is that, that they managed in the midst of this whole thing to be connected to what God was doing, where he was doing it, and giving up their will for his. I mean, think about it. When you think about uh, as we get into this Christmas, are we going to let the busyness and commercialism of Christmas crowd out Christ in the midst of all our celebration and all our relationships? I mean, for Joseph, I, 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 I don't think it was what he imagined, right? I don't think it was. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that he's espoused to be married and Mary's is going to be his wife. And when he, he finds out she's pregnant, I think he was probably thinking, hey, I'm going to, uh, you know, one day be married and, and consummate the marriage and we're going to have kids and there'll be family around and aunts and uncles and moms and dads and uh, grandparents and we'd all be celebrating the birth of a child that we have together and the midwife would hand him that baby and he would be so proud because that would be something that they had in common something that was theirs meant to bring them together and all of a sudden he's thrown for a loop and he's, he's now dealing with a situation that he never thought he would be involved in. He's going to a place he never thought he'd have to go to. And he's doing it all because he was willing to listen, surrender, and obey God. And so I think Joseph is kind of an interesting guy. He's sort of, in my mind, in the Christmas narrative, the father of the bride, right? He's responsible for a lot of things, but he gets no credit, no glory, right? Nobody's writing a Christmas carol about Joseph like they do about Mary, right? And so he's, you know, he's one of these guys that uh, seems to pay the, a, a huge price as well, but really doesn't get the recognition that I think he deserves. In fact, when you read the biblical narrative, Joseph doesn't even have a speaking part, right? I mean, he doesn't say anything. We just talk about him. In fact, truth be told, he's not even the most famous Joseph in the Bible right it's joseph in genesis of the multicolored dream coat right but i think when we look about it we see that in spite of all this joseph is is someone who i think god 
it's kind of cool to think God handed this man to be the dad, not the father. We know that God is the father, right? You know, God, you know, put... It's that, that's the immaculate conception that God put his son in Mary to be born a man so that he could die for our sins and save us from them, right? But I think uh, Joseph is the dad. He's, he's got the, all the responsibility. And so, which is cool because, and take this the wrong way, but anybody can be a father in today's day and age, right? But it takes a special person to really be dad and that's not a biological thing that is a responsibility relational thing and i think that it takes someone when you really think about it kids need a good dad and a good father and joseph had both Uh, i mean jesus had both excuse me the narrative starts in verse 18 now the birth of jesus christ took place in this way when his mother mary had been betrothed came together he was found to be uh, she was found to be with child from the holy spirit so joseph has this dilemma and uh you know he's he's in this place where he's getting married and it may help us for a minute to really kind of understand the stages of a jewish marriage right there's the contractual stage the espousal stage and then the consummation stage and so young people back then didn't really have a part in it because most marriages were pre right the parents pick the spouse for the child. I mean, a lot of kids today are probably going, oh my gosh, thank God, times have changed, right? But think about it. The divorce rate was pretty low back then. Because I think a lot of times we think and we look at the wrong things. It's interesting because they would go from this contractual state where they'd set the dowry, right? You know, uh, I'll give you two chickens and a sheep if you marry my daughter, that type of thing. And so they made the contract. Contract, And once they get into this espousal stage, time, it lasted about a year. And it's the time where they basically tell them really get to know each other. And it, it's, it's a time where they say they're told to, to love each other, to learn to love each other. In our culture, we think we have to fall in love. When in reality, in the Bible, it says you have to learn to love because love is a choice, a decision, and a commitment. It is not an emotion. Nowhere in the Bible does that tell you to fall in love, but the Bible commands us to love one another, right? We, we, we don't really, when you think about falling in love, it's, it's a concept that's kind of weird because in reality, a lot of us fall for a lot of things that we shouldn't fall for. We don't really think about how God commands us to do certain things. And in Matthew 1, they're in this espousal stage. They're supposed to spend lots of time together. And they you know, must keep themselves pure during this time because technically they are married. If he was to, to break it off, he'd have to get a divorce either way. But it's this time where they're really together and they're really getting to know and love, learn to love each other. I'm sure temptation was really great at this time because in today's culture, you know, everybody has the excuse, oh, we're going to get married. Anyways, why can't we have sex now since we're getting married anyways? The reality is it's still a sin. God designed mar- uh, uh, sex for marriage and, and there were no exceptions. And, you know, a lot of people like to do the test drive today. And I remember uh, a year ago I w- we bought two car, used cars because we got rid of one car. My kids were going up to school. And uh, we bought two cars based on the way they looked, right? And we test drove them, but we really looked at them. But when we got one of them home, we realized... It had some engine issues, right? It needed a new transmission. 
And here all the time we took a test drive and all we did was look at the outside, the aesthetics, how the vehicle looked, and we really didn't look inside and check out the motor, right? And a lot of people do that today in our day and age. They get attracted physically and they, and they don't really look at what's in depth and they get into this issue where they're having sex and sex clouds their understanding and their ability to discern what love is because they think it's an act and not a decision, a commitment, a choice, which is why we have the divorce rate we have in America today. I think it's so important for Joseph and Mary that they spend quality time together. And I think that when you look at this espousal stage, it ends with the consummation of the marriage, right? Usually it's a seven-day feast, and everybody celebrates and is having a good time. And I think we find here in the midst of this that Joseph finds out she's pregnant, and it's not his baby because he knows. He's got a dilemma on his hands. What does he do? This is what he, what he planned for. And so when we read verse 8, we can see that uh, the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we know that, and Mary already knew that, but Joseph didn't know it yet, did he? All he could think naturally was that Mary had been unfaithful. I can imagine the shock and the hurt and the pain that he must have been going through. And Joseph's dilemma is now, what do I do, Right? And it says in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. His dilemma really was, I think, between the law and love, wasn't it? You know, the law says I can do this, but yet I do think he loved her because he was concerned for her. You know, I think that when you, when you realize that being unfaithful at that point in time, it was really... Uh, brought on a death sentence for all intended purposes because the the penalty was stoning for someone who was unfaithful. Isn't that interesting? And so I I think when you look at this, it kind of reminds me as I I started to contemplate it that wasn't this, you know, Joseph struggling between what the law says, what he had the right to do, and then love what was the right thing to do, right? The law demanded something, but love thought of everyone in the situation. It's kind of like the law of God when we think about it. It's the heart of the gospel. The gospel says that he who sins brings death on, right? And because God can have no part of sin, we're separated from God when we sin, the law has to be satisfied. The Bible says that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So without the shedding of blood, sin cannot be forgiven. And God is bound by his own law. It's his nature. And what does he do? To satisfy the law, he brings in love. And he sends his son to come and die on a cross so that our sin can be forgiven, so that we can have a relationship with him for eternity as we trust in he did on the cross for us, not about what we do, it's what he did for us that saves us. And that, that to me is the Christmas story in his essence. And I think you see that picture in Joseph. Joseph's struggling here with what the law says he can do and what his heart says he should do. I mean, what he had the right to do. And I think sometimes we get confused because we have the right to do something. doesn't always mean it's the right thing to do, right? Here's a great example of that. Joseph feels portrayed. But what I find interesting in this story is that God describes Joseph, and I don't know if you've ever saw this, as a just man. 
He doesn't speak in Scripture, but I think when you say he was a just man and God makes that statement, it says something very profound and poignant about who Joseph was. Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So I got to wondering on the word just. Looked it up. And uh, I found that it's the Greek word dikaios, which means righteous, someone who is righteous, someone who tries to do the right thing. Kind of gives me a little difference of opinion about who Joseph is and how important he is to the story and, in essence, why God picked him. You know, it's interesting because when he says a just man, the first thing comes to my mind that if you're a just man, you're going to be just in what you do. And so I think he looked at this and said, hey, I'm not going to look the other way on a moral issue because that wouldn't be just, would it? Here he is. He's faced with a moral issue. He's not going to turn a blind eye to it, but he's going to deal with it. Mary's pregnant. He knows it's not his kid, and he probably believes now he can't trust her. And to his mind, you know, when you, when you look at what the law says, he thought there was only one way to deal with the situation. To me, when it comes to mor- morality, the world is around us is harsh when it comes to the church and our definition of morality. It rejects the idea of Christians standing up and saying what is right in God's eyes. Folks around us would rather us shut up and uh, when it comes to right and wrong and go practice our faith in churches and leave it in the building and don't bring it in the marketplace. And a lot of Christians go and they do do that. But Jesus taught us, and we went through this in our last series in Matthew 10 in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, doing what is right in God's eyes. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To me, I think Jesus expects us to stand up for God's morality, call sin, sin, even when the world's going to get angry about it, right? Today's politically charged world, you can't bring up anything without somebody being offended or mad. The question isn't if we do or don't do that. The question is, is what we're bringing up true and righteous before God? Leave the rest to him. He could have went about this two ways. He could have did this publicly, which brought shame to Mary and potentially death, or he could do it privately. He was going to do something, and it says he was going to divorce her quietly because he cared about her, and that's the path he chose. At least she could walk away with some dignity. She'd still have the shame of being pregnant out of wedlock and all those other things and complications that go with her family, but at least Joseph would have showed her some compassion, some love. God calls Joseph a just man. It appears he's a just man because he's unwilling to put her to shame. And I thought about that. And a lot of times when I get offended or I get, you know, in a situation where things aren't right, am I willing to think of the other person? Or do, you want your, do I want my pound of flesh? Or do I want to be able to exact my own justice? The Bible says we're to think of others better than ourselves. What more important time is when we are... His love for her, and it tells me that he loved her, was more than just an arranged marriage. I feel like a man that would be that much willing to do something to someone else's benefit, even in spite of himself, says something about him. A lot of us can overlook sin. 
because it's too complicated or we can confront or we can confront sin and drive it from our midst i think there's a happy medium i think we need to be able to confront sin most of us that are willing to that we have a difficult time with it because we would just rather people you know repent of their sin and change and move on right it doesn't always work that way as parents the toughest thing we have to do is when we deal with kids and their imperfections is to try to teach them and train them in the way they should go they're not always receptive they often find it difficult because the world crowds in around them and says hey think this way do things that are best for you forget about that authority to me, I think when you get into this, I mean, even Joseph and his thought had to think about divorce in and of itself, even back then, was destructive, right? To me, I often look at uh, divorce as a mad game, right? Mutually um, uh, assured destruction. It's kind of like playing checkers. When you play checkers, the goal is to take every other one of the person's checkers, and you have to give up some of yours along the way to win. And at the end of the day, you just have a little bit left. They have nothing left. You have a little bit left, and you can claim victory. That's the it is in our world today when it comes to divorce. It's about taking from someone else what you think they deserve or what you think they don't deserve, and at the end, you both lose and you both have a little left. It's always destructive. But that's really not the narrative here. It's about his grace and his mercy. It's about the Joseph is a just man because he refuses to hurt the one who has hurt him. And that says a lot about him as a man. To me, when that's the attitude of your heart, you really don't need to speak. In Romans twelve fourteen, God says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. In 17 and 18, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. To me, being just in the eyes of God means refusing to take revenge when you have the right to do so. To me, I think that when you look at the word just, I think that what came across my mind as I was thinking about that is Romans 1.17. And it says, The just shall live by faith. And all of a sudden, it started to create a different picture of who Joseph was for me. He wasn't just a just man because he did the right thing. He was a just man because he lived by faith. And that kind of made me think of things a whole lot differently. And then I realized that he goes from this dilemma and he has this dream because God cares about us when we are willing to sacrifice for him and listen and surrender our lives to him and obey him. And he gives him this dream. And the interesting part of the dream, it's in verse 20 through 21, it says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sin. As I started thinking about that, what I noticed, which was kind of new to me, was almost always in Scripture, except this passage, when an angel appears and he's addressing someone, the first thing he says is, do not fear or do not be afraid, right? He said that to Mary. When he first appeared to Mary, do not be afraid, for you are highly favored, right? But he doesn't do that with Joseph. He uses the do not be afraid to take her as his wife. So I started thinking, was Joseph not afraid? And I'm thinking to myself, 
being a righteous, just man would mean to tell me that he was in touch with who God was. And he was so in tune with God that the angel's presence really didn't even phase him. I don't know if it was expected, whether it was the first time. We don't know that. But it's kind of an interesting, uh, to me, uh, elimination when you think about it. That it's not there. The angel doesn't say, Joseph, don't be afraid. He says, hey, Joseph, by the way, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Joseph wasn't afraid because he was a just man who always listened to God. He always believed God. And he obeyed God. That was the trend of his life, which led him to the decision because of the dream. I heard from God. Do I follow God? Do I obey God? Verses 24 and 25, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Three times in the Christmas narrative, we hear the phrase, he rose and he took her and his son and they went to Egypt, came back from Egypt. It's interesting, three times the Lord spoke to Joseph and his initial response was he heard, he surrendered, and he obeyed. To me, that's how you really don't miss Christmas. When we, in the midst of all the things that are going on in the world, we're willing to take a little bit of time and, and listen and hear what God's trying to tell us in the midst of the cacophony of sound around us and action and busyness. Do we hear God? Are we willing to surrender to God? For some, it's your finances. For some, it's relationships that have been torn. For some, it's your schedule. For some, it's your spouse or your kids. And hear God. To do what God calls us to do. Over and over again, Joseph hears Because you know why? He was a just man who lived by faith. Hebrews 1.11 says, says, Now, faith is assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In Hebrews 11.7 it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark. And then in verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. See, Christmas is a good reminder for me that we, the just, do live by faith. And faith oftentimes defies reason, doesn't it? When we think about some of the things that God's called us to do, when we've obeyed God and we think, how did God know this was going to happen? How did God know that this would make this right? How did God know this would bring this person to a place where they would be able to see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because as as we saw in the buffer video, the, the God of this world is blinding the minds of the unbelievers so they can't see the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And it's more apparent now than ever because you know what? The world wants to make Christmas to be about everything but Jesus. And we as a church have to wrestle and fight with that and surrender our will to make it all about Jesus. Faith is believing God and his word. See, righteousness is not the avoidance of sin. It's living in the presence of God. It's abiding in God. And I think we see that in Joseph. Joseph's life wasn't dictated by not breaking rules he didn't live by the law he wasn't worried about having an affair or you know you know doing stealing 
all those other things. He was focused his life on abiding in Christ. And I think too many Christians today spend time where they're thinking about not doing certain sins. And I think what we see in Joseph, Joseph was a man who was connected to God, in touch with his spirit, knew God intimately. And you know what? That wasn't an issue for Joseph. Because Joseph poured his life into what God had for him. It's amazing in scripture we see that when men abide in God, when they're following the roles God has given them, whether they're the husband, providing, all those issues, that takes a lot of time. And then when we spend time spiritually praying and reading his word, that takes more time. And then when we're serving in the church, that takes more time. There isn't much time left for sin if we're doing all the things God gave us to do. And last week we talked about King David, how he was a man after God's own heart, and he had all this gratitude in his heart, and he was thankful for everything. Guess when David sinned? When he wasn't doing his kingly responsibility, and he didn't go to war, and he stayed home. You know why? Because he had time on his hands. And unseized time always defaults to our weaknesses. And his weakness was he's out on the rooftop, and he sees a naked woman, and he gets burning with desire, and he takes her which leads to a whole bunch of bad stuff. See, when we abide in God, we like Joseph, things may come that shock us, but they won't derail us. They won't defeat us. Because you know what? When God speaks, we need to listen, even if it defies logic. That's really the true faith of Christmas. Faith for the just is often just believing of what God has said to us. Sometimes we have to accept some things that are difficult to understand, that we may not know. For some, when we came together as a ministry, difficult to understand why. But yet we see so much of God in the midst of it. That doesn't mean it won't change over time and things won't, again, get different. But Mary was pregnant with a baby that wasn't Joseph. And guess what? Joseph came to the place of comfortability with it because he knew it was from God. And being a just man who lived by faith, realized that he could trust God, even if it wasn't what he planned. How often does our faith in God and our love for God wane when things don't go our way and we don't get what we want? It's amazing how that happens. We want God to give us what we want, not necessarily what we need. And a lot of times what we need is never what we want. And that's really the meaning behind Christmas is really understand that God's got a bigger, greater plan than we have a plan for ourselves. We can trust him with that if we're willing to listen, surrender, and obey. He didn't miss Christmas because he did just that. He wasn't like King Herod who didn't listen to the scholars. He wasn't like the scholars who didn't listen to the scriptures. He wasn't like the innkeeper who didn't listen to the cry of a man in desperate need. The question for us this morning is will we love God in such a way where we'll stop in the midst of all the chaos of Christmas to find it in a way where we're willing to hear God and then surrender to God and then obey God? Because that's what Christmas is all about.